only source of true delight whom I unseen adore. Unveil thy beauties to my sight that I might love thee more. Oh, that I might love thee more. You're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding dying. Scripture reading this morning is found in Psalm 95. If you'd like to follow along in your blue pew Bible, that's page 499. Once again, this is Psalm 95. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years, I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. The word of the Lord. God alone can uh, open our hearts to his word. Let's ask that he would do that. Lord, we thank you for this precious word that is given to us, given to us that we might know you. Lord, you said this, this is eternal life that we know you and the Father. Lord, this uh, heaven is not going to be heaven apart from fellowship with you. It would will be, as the one Puritan said, a veil of tears without Jesus Christ. We say with the psalmist, Whom have I in heaven but you? What do I desire on earth except you? O Lord, make that the cry of our hearts. Make our affections warm and deep. And everlasting for your glory. Make us, Lord, truly to glorify you and enjoy you forever so that your name will be lifted up by the passionate desire and love and joy that we have in you. Bless us for your name's sake. Amen. We're starting a series, a short series on worship today, um, and I had thought about 
talking along the lines of different aspects of worship, say one Sunday talking about the sermon, how do we approach that, or another one perhaps singing. But I've chosen instead to do it more topically. Uh, I'm going to do with it under these headings, adoration, faith, love, and sacrifice. Adoration, faith, love, and sacrifice. And this morning, uh, we begin with uh, adoration. The first thing I want to say about adoration, it involves the heart. We begin with Psalm 103. Uh, Here's the psalmist speaking to his own soul. A little self-talk here. Bless the Lord, O my soul. So, give him blessing. So, worship him, adore him. And then he says, let everything within me bless his holy name. When we read the, uh, confessed the Westminster uh, uh, Confession, we had in there the phrase that we're to give him all of our hearts and minds and might. We we praise him, we, we give him everything within us. Adoration is to involve the whole person. Now, for Presbyterians in worship, that has a certain understanding, you know. We, we in worship almost, almost think that it's holy not to give our whole selves and emotions to God in adoration. Somehow we've come with this idea. I think if someone truly got incredibly emotional in worship, that all eyes would be on that person. That's the last time they would ever do that. They would learn. You don't show that much emotion. Don't you know you're in a Presbyterian church? (laughs) But what you see in Scripture, and it's interesting that the Hebrew language and the Hebrew mindset is used to convey Scripture, is what we see here in Psalm 95 Make a joyful noise, come into his presence with thanksgiving, make a joyful noise. You'll see sometimes a a psalm talking about bringing out every single instrument you can and shouting, clapping the hands, raising the hands. Now, not arguing necessarily for certain hand motions, certain physical uh, involvement. But I am arguing for a complete involvement in adoration. It's very interesting that in our culture, it's fine. In fact, many of you probably have danced at football games. You've probably acted pretty wild at football games. You've screamed, you've hugged each other. Maybe even some of you men have cried, you know, at the joy that you had uh, because of a ninth inning home run or a touchdown or a basket sunk at the last uh, second. But it's very interesting that, and I'm not arguing that the same emotion uh, would would be here, but you, you do begin to ask the question, wholehearted praise, everything within me, what's that going to look like? How will I feel? What will be happening in my heart if I'm adoring Him? Not just that I'm singing the hymn instead of sitting there like a knot on a log. I'm really singing. 
I'm, I'm really reading. I'm, I'm involved. I'm participating. But adoration involves the heart. Adoration involves a sense of awe and a sense of amazement. I, I want to leave that word perhaps as much as any other word. A sense of amazement at God. How often are you amazed at Him? Astounded. Astonished. How often are you overwhelmed, staggered, taken back, even surprised by some aspect of God's beauty and glory? Sometimes in true awe and adoration and amazement, it's, it's a glad shock like you've heard you've just won five million dollars or that a fierce and deadly war has suddenly ended unexpectedly and your son or husband is safe and returning home. Those kind of incredible emotions, I believe, must be, are called forth from God to be employed, to be spent lavishly for His glory. You know, Psalm 29 says, Give Him the glory due His name. Do the full revelation of everything that He is. What does that look like? The glory that is commensurate, that somehow is scaling the heights of all that He is and all that He has done and is doing. God is breathtaking. But when He is breathtaking to you, when you are astounded at some aspect of His being or what He has done or what He is doing or will do, then you're cracking the door open to adoration. And I really fear that we are astounded all too little as the people of God. And of course, it's not to be confined to this hour. Our whole life is to be one of of being astonished at God. But to realize that adoration is emotional. As Piper has said, if feelings are dead, worship is dead. If feelings are dead, worship is dead. I'm arguing for authentic emotions, real emotions that we experience in so many ways in our life. I think of December when I was on my way uh, to John Weiser's house. We had an elders meeting. And as I got to the uh, light there to turn left onto Brian Irvin, I was coming from the church. I'd been here doing something. As I was about to turn left, I finally got to the phone call of my brother that I couldn't take because I'd just been meeting with someone. And it was the phone call telling me that my father had had what ended up being a fatal fall. I can remember just sitting at that light, just stunned, and all these emotions, and I, I barely made the turn and pulled into a parking lot as I sat there just practically trembling, hearing that the 57 years of, of knowing him and depending on him and telling him about all my struggles and joys and everything else in family and church through the years, it was gone. Just like that, it was gone. Well, that was, that was 
genuine emotion over something that was very real to me. I, I think of the emotion my little granddaughter, Lila Kate, had when they brought little babe, this, this miniature horse from Mississippi, and they brought it to our house, and she pulled it around the front yard with the rope, little one-and-a-half-year-old girl. And it was, her name was Duchess. Okay? <laughs> Never forget hearing that, Duchess. This is Duchess. And just seeing the emotion, the fascination of pulling a horse around and watching uh, Granddad and Kiki see her pull the horse around. The feeling of emotion of my other granddaughter, of her just as she just melts into your chest to go to sleep. It's one of the most comfortable things I've ever seen a human being is watching her in the mirror just melted, you know, going to sleep. Uh, the thrill of watching... Chase play basketball or rollicking back and forth laughter with JD or the, the sense that I had atop the tallest mountain in Colorado at the 360 degree view. These are just real genuine emotions for things that affect us deeply. Brothers and sisters, it is God Himself that we're having to do with. We get so accustomed to emotionless response to God, which in one sense is no response. I saw in a, a reformed work, uh, they, talked to, they were disparaging the, the term experiencing God in worship, that no, all you're to do is just to give to God in worship. But, and I would say emphatically, no, that God gains glory through our joyful reaction and response to Him. He gets glory because He tastes good to us. You know, We really adore Him. We really relish Him. We are excited about Him, astounded, astonished by this God. He is amazing to us. We're in awe of Him. That's what brings him honor, is our joy in him. And so we are to cultivate amazement and awe. Cultivate amazement in your life. Whether you're talking about reading the book of his word or the book of creation, uh, whether you're talking about his providence whatever it is that we are cultivating an amazement. Because we read in Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord. How do you obey that day in and day out? How do you delight yourself in Him? Or the simple <laughs> passage in Paul that we take for granted, but Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And he says, again, I say rejoice. It's as though Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And we say, yeah, yeah, I've heard it. I know. No, no, no. Again, he takes us by the shoulders. He looks us in the eye and says, rejoice in the Lord always. You're commanded. I'm commanded to have joy in him. And this is how he is honored. This is how he is honored. Uh, Piper and others have given the illustration of a man who uh, presents flowers to his wife on the anniversary. Uh, I think Piper's own example is the 25th anniversary. What if he has 25 roses for each year? And he comes to the door and presents it to her. And she says, why are you doing this? He says, because it's my duty to give you flowers every time at anniversary time. 
And so here are the flowers, 25 years, 25 flowers, there you go. I have performed my duty. You know. And of course, you'll say, you can take your flowers and go somewhere else, right? But if he tells her, it is my joy to live with you. It is my joy to have you as my wife. And it would be my joy and privilege tonight if you would allow me to take you out and to a nice meal and just to be with you tonight. A little bit different. And what's the difference? The joy, the joy that he takes in her and expresses to her that he has. That's what honors her. That's what gives her, puts her on the pedestal of honor and praise. And so as we feast upon him, he is glorified. As we want him and desire him, as he thrills us, he, he is glorified. That's why C.S. Lewis, in a writing to Sheldon Van Aken, said, uh, it is a Christian's duty, as you know, to be as happy as he can. And the opposite, of course, that great quote by Jeremy uh, Taylor, the Puritan, God threatens terrible things if we will not be happy. And think, eat your ice cream, you know, it's kind of, <laughs> eat your delicious bluebell ice cream, you know. Well, it, the dishonor it is to God not to be happy in Him. Now, and of course, joy can... We're we're thinking of joy in a broad way. We're not talking about giddy happiness all the time. But I think of... I read a a book one time by a nurse, and she told of many different instances in her life as a nurse. One of them was a lady that uh, had... Her little baby uh, was was dying. And she said over a three-day period, that baby slowly lost its life. There was nothing they could do for it. He said, she never put it down for three days. Had a rock, she had a rocking chair brought in and she rocked and sang and cooed and kissed that baby all the way until it passed away. Now, for that child, whatever it was conscious of, it had a joy in com- being comforted and held. The sweetness of the fellowship of its own mother in those last few days. That's joy, you see. When you're breaking apart and you put yourself in the hands of God, that's an aspect of joy. When you cannot hold it together and you fall before Him and cry out, Lord, keep me. And He draws near to you in His presence. That is joy. And so, adoration... It's not like cold stone. It's like a molten lava. It must and will come out. It will burst forth when your heart is full of love for Him and adoration. Uh, William Baxter spoke of this in saying that uh, our whole life is to be devoted to the delight in God. We're to commit our whole life to that pursuit Uh, of delight. And Lewis talks about this, that praise is the consummation of our joy. It's, It's the final end result of the joy that we have in Him. It's the kind of joy that you and I have all the time. We talk about everything that we like, don't we? 
It could be a movie. It could be a, a poem. It, it, it could be somebody you met. It, it, it could be a ball game that you went to and you have to tell them what happened in the ninth inning. As I've told of several times when the Rangers, what happened. I've told several people that when we were at Ranger Stadium and the first time we've been there in four or five years, that the kissing cam was going around. And of five or six people, it landed on us, you know. And so I got to tell everybody, oh, you wouldn't believe it. There there we were, and we kissed my wife, and, you know. (laughs) But you see, that's praise. That's praise. That's honor that you heap upon an event or an experience or a relationship or even a thing like a computer or a new, a new cell phone, an iPhone, and you're talking about it. You're, you're praising it. Lewis points this out. He says, it came to me that we praise everything that we love. We have joy of it. And, and the final consummation of it is we want to talk about it. We want to say it. You see, that's what adoration is. It's pouring forth praise to God because of what we feel toward Him. And as Edwards has stated, the things of religion, they're so glorious. They're so huge. There's only one response. And it's a a gigantic, wholehearted response to it. Anything else is like an offense to God. It's like hearing somebody's name called out. And, you know, at uh, some meetings I've been at, um, I don't know about the grammar of that, but um, some meetings where certain people will be introduced and a round of applause, you know, huge. And, and it's better not to have any applause than your name's called out, Darwin Jordan. One person was being nice, you know. <laughs> That's all that was, was one person was being nice, and then they realized, oh, I don't want to be the only one. Uh, and so you and I need to ask the question, am, are we part of a roar of applause to, to Jesus Christ on the Lord's Day and throughout the week? Or does God just kind of hear this from us? half-hearted, unemotional, hearts are never stirred, we're never astonished, we're never astounded. We're not involved in adoration. We're not involved in true praise. The good news is that this kind of worship is sought after by God in us. It's part of what He does to save us. When Paul talks about sin in Romans 3, Romans 1 through 3. He talks about the fact that we've turned away and and we don't praise Him and we don't love Him, but the grace of God restores that in us. In John 4, when Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, He says, He is seeking worshipers who worship Him in spirit and truth. That doesn't mean that God is, you know, looking around, don't know who they are, where He might find, oh, there's one, there's one. No, He's seeking to bring that about, to bring about worshipers. He pursues it relentlessly with infinite energy to bring about the worship of Himself. It's not only for His glory, but... It's the greatest pursuit of love that he could be about. It's to pursue in us 
the echo of His glory. That we would be fixed in our affections and joy on Him. It's the greatest act of love that He could uh, act on our behalf is to bring about that kind of joy. And He pursues it all the way to the cross. All the way to the cross. God was in the world reconciling the world. He was in, in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. It says that we are the people of God, 1 Peter 2. Notice what he says about us here. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him, the glory of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The whole end of our salvation, the point of our salvation, it's the final consummation of praise, of the enjoyment of God. It's it's adoration. And that's why He dies for us, to redeem us from our alienation and our refusal, our hardness of heart, the little box that we live in that, that isn't living for His glory it's why He draws us to Himself. He reveals Himself. He opens, his, uh, opens our heart to see His glory. And then he, he welcomes us into His presence and He enlivens us and enables us. He calls us to Himself that we might worship Him. It's interesting that in both in uh, Romans 15 and in Hebrews 2, Psalms are quoted... That if you read the Psalms, you really might not get it originally, but they're, they're interpreted by the apostles to say, here is Christ in the midst of the congregation saying, I'm with my brothers offering up praise to God. The sense is that He is here with us to give us His Spirit and to stand with us in terms of His humanity to offer up praise to God. He is the perfect, righteous worshiper with a full heart, praising God. Philippians 3 says that we worship by the Spirit of God and we glory in Christ. Oh, the Spirit of God, if He's doing anything, He is pursuing in us this kind of worship. God has an exuberance for His own excellence and He delights in its echo, the echo of His excellence that he sees in our praises of him. He relentlessly pursues this in us. Piper calls it the sweet echo of his excellence in the hearts of his people. So that we are gladly reflecting back to God the radiance of his worth, as D.A. Carson puts it. Gladly reflecting back to God the radiance of his worth. We see that's of course where we get the word worship worth. Uh, so we're we're trying to reflect in our very emotions, in our very lives, how valuable and precious he is. Now this that he brings about for us, this bringing about what 
what is called the summit of our satisfaction in Him. The summit of your satisfaction in His fellowship is the praise and adoration you give Him. So it involves the whole heart. It is pursued by God. He brings it about and it is in response to His revelation. It is in response to His revelation. It is as we contemplate His creation as Psalm 95 does, speaking about His creation. Psalm uh, 104, the whole of the psalm. Psalm 8 talks about God and His creation and that His magnificence is spread through every aspect of creation. And so that's one aspect of our giving Him glory and adoring Him. And brothers and sisters, if you really, really are uh, fixed on His creation... That's a 24-7 job, you know, to give Him glory. You can't keep up. You just can't keep up with the bewildering array and the fire hose of revelation and beauty of God that's in creation. And secondarily, in the, the culture that He has enabled man uh, to bring about, minus the sinful parts of it. But even that is, is reason for praise as we've talked again and again about this. And the important thing is that in all of this that we don't miss what is the central part of it, and that is the praise of God Himself. Not just the enjoyment of the thing, but the enjoyment of God in it. And then, of course, more than all, is the Word itself. The the Word is where we see, of course, the glory of God displayed, especially in the Gospel, which displays Jesus Christ Himself that is the main revelation of God's glory. In the Word, we see His attributes and actions. And that's why you and I must constantly be set to study Him, to contemplate Him, to meditate on Him, to discover Him. Are you set day in and day out to know Him? That's what Jesus says. This is eternal life. To know Him, not just facts about Him, but to enter into a knowledge that brings about a holistic response to His glory. Everything that you see in creation, uh, for instance, is just the downstream of God's glory. It's just just the showing forth of that glory. And everything in Scripture is designed specifically to unveil that beauty to us. And so as we search in the Word, we're, we're on a quest, we're on a safari hunt, so to speak. We're, we're tracking down the glory of God. We're praying that God would reveal it to us. We're, we want to be like those two men on the road to Emmaus, as we talked about it last week, who said, weren't our hearts burning within us as He opened the Scripture to us? And so, as you know that it must involve your whole heart, as you know God is the one that is pursuing this, that's bringing it about in my heart, and He does this through the revelation of Himself in creation and in the Word, make this your pursuit in life. Commit yourself by His grace, by His working, I will be a person who lives in adoration. Even as you're concentrating in work, there's that kind of background hum of adoration and gratitude. That you're living in the general realization that 
The reason I'm here, the reason I'm breathing today, the reason I'm able to think is because God has given this to me. And I do this in His presence. I do this for His glory. I'm reflecting Him as I do it. Even as you concentrate more and more on what you've got to do that day, it can be against the backdrop and with the undergirding and foundation, the goal and, and atmosphere of the glory of God. Adoration is the whole reason we live. In Isaiah chapter 43, he says to Israel, I've created you for my own glory. I've created you for my glory. When we talk about the ungodly, in the last place, I want to just talk briefly about how this this adoration, this life of awe must be believed and pursued by us. The when we talk about the ungodly, it's not just, as we naturally think, an ungodly person is somebody who does wrong things all the time. They do bad things. But to be ungodly means to be without God. To be ungodlike is to a life that is less God, minus God, without God. Without the ultimate amazement and wonder of God in your life. I was talking over the weekend with some uh, children about this whole idea of how it seems that non-Christians have a lot of... They do a lot of good things. And they enjoy, enjoy a lot of different things in life, even as we do. But here's an element that is completely gone. is the element of adoration. I know some of you, many of you perhaps saw the movie Truman. Jim Carrey is in it. And in Truman, he was raised from birth in this huge, gigantic bubble. It was the other thing besides the wall of China, China that could be seen from space, okay? Really, it was Seaside, where, uh, close to where uh, we've been to Destin several times and visited Seaside. But anyway, he's in this, this town and surrounding ocean or sea and all this, and he had no idea what the world really was. He was just in this one bubble. Everybody was an actor, Every, even his wife, every single person he knew was playing a role just for this one guy and the whole world was watching his story. Now, the analogy falls down in many ways, but this is very much like a person who is going through this world but doesn't really understand what the world is about. Enjoys food, enjoys a relationship, enjoys different things in life, enjoys the creation, and he doesn't enjoy God in it. And it's like he's in this little bitty bubble, doesn't realize the whole of the world. It's like if I had gone when I went to uh, Colorado, uh, thankfully, with John and some RUF guys several years ago. What if instead of hiking for several days and going down the, uh, we went uh, rafting one day, and then of course we had this wonderful climb to the highest point in, in Colorado. What if instead of that, I had stayed in the condo and I looked at black and white pictures of a drainage ditch in Mesquite all week? You know, just looking, you know, 
There's the comparison. There's the comparison of life apart from the glory of God. You talk about being gypped. But gypped is really a too small of a word. Robbed. Raped. Murdered, really. Murdered. And that's what Jesus calls Satan, John 8. He was a murderer from the beginning. How did he murder them? How did he kill them? By seeking to tear them away from the worship of God. And if you are torn away from the worship of God and the adoration of God, then it is a deadly, deadly thing. Matthew Henry says that our joy in Him is the way that we develop a distaste for sin. It's as we have a taste for Him and relish Him and have real emotional fixation upon Him, affections for Him, that more and more as we taste His goodness, we are unhinged from sin itself. And we develop a distaste for sin. And I thought it was expressed so well in the hymn that we sang on page 6 of our bulletin. When it says in the third verse, The world and Satan strive in vain against the chosen few, secured by what? Grace's conquering reign they all shall conquer too. They're secured by the reign of grace in their lives, the reign of God's goodness, the sweetness of this fellowship with Him and the love they've experienced in Him. It holds them in the midst of the world and Satan against them. And it says, No sweet, sweeter subject can invite a sinner's heart to sing than grace or more display the glorious right of our exalted King. Why does he have a right to tell you what to do? And why do you feel like I owe him everything and want to do anything he tells me to do? It's because you've experienced his grace. It's because of joy. It's because of adoration in response to the great love of God. And isn't it astounding that at the end of that Psalm 95, he's just going along, praising God, everything's positive and rich, and then suddenly he says, and hey, don't harden your hearts like you did at Moriah. And if you recall, what they hardened themselves against was the goodness of God. The goodness of God. They did not believe that God had their best interest at heart. And they said, we're not going to go in the land. We don't think he's going to feed us. We don't think he's going to give us water. We don't think he's going to keep us safe. They refuse to trust Him and adore Him anymore. Oh, may God keep us from hardening our hearts to His goodness. Let us pray. Lord, forgive us. Forgive me, Lord, that I have given You so little of my heart at times. I thank You, Lord. We thank You for how You have stirred our hearts. We thank You for the great joy that we have had over the years, in many different ways. Lord, for the experience of, of contemplating you, the, the wild emotions that have been ours, we thank you for how you've revealed yourself and how amazed we are at you and 
how sometimes just astonished and practically surprised as we see you in Scripture and we think what the implications of a certain passage are or we see some aspect of your creation, some aspect of the human body even. Lord, all of these things, we pray that you will develop in us, that you will grow us, Lord, in a whole life of adoration, that we will cultivate astonishment and amazement at our God. And through this, you will be honored and glorified. And, oh, Lord, as we continue to talk about the different implications for worship, faith, and our obedience and living it out before this world, we pray that you would grow us in true worship and we will bring true glory to your name. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light, oh, come with blissful rain, break radiant through the shades of night and chase my fears away. Won't you chase my fears away?